Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. If you're in human performance today, you recognize that the industry has changed. Gone are the days of highly focused specialists who live in their isolated lanes, working without the understanding of the whole human being. The world of human performance is about integration today. It's about recognizing what your client needs to do to perform at their highest potential, discovering the parts of the puzzle of performance that need work, while keeping this person moving, training, performing, and succeeding seamlessly. Reconditioning is an operating system for this new world of human performance. The practice honors the role of each specialization and helps define the most powerful and tactical use of interventions that will make a difference. You don't take your car to the garage only when it's broken. You schedule for regular maintenance so that it keeps running smoothly when you need it. The human body is no different and reconditioning professionals are those best prepared to keep the human body running. Check out our courses at ReconditioningHQ.com today. Follow our robust educational programming and become the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. It's been four years that Leave Your Mark has been up and running. And during these four years, uh, we've had a fantastic podcast sponsor in Matrix Fitness. I have to thank Greg Lawler for his commitment to this podcast and his commitment and his team's commitment to what we're trying to do is helping you in the community see and listen to some of the best in the business of human performance. And to talk about the best in the business, well, right back at Matrix Fitness, they are the best in the business at what they do, and they serve uh, the continuum of human performance from the day-to-day person who is looking just to stay fit and, uh, and to aspire to be healthy to the person who wants to be out uh, performing at their best in an athletic endeavor. They have all the equipment that spans that continuum. They're ready to help you, the practitioner, or you, the person who wants to build your at-home facility or a facility or an institutional facility to have success with your clients or with yourself. So I encourage you to take a look at their products. Head over to teamupwithmatrix.ca today and check out what they're doing. They have outstanding equipment and outstanding customer service. So once again, thank you to Matrix for supporting Leave Your Mark and take some time today to check them out. Wow, what's going on at ReconditioningHQ.com these days is insane. Uh, you can find the entire R1 Foundations course online and available to digest at your leisure. The R2 Designs course is right there as well, fully loaded. R3 Collab is a combination of online material all about the neurological system and then a live laboratory where we dive deep on everything reconditioning. These three courses walk you through the process of reconditioning all the information and what we've done now is we've attached to all of this a mastermind community and when you're in the mastermind community it's 20 bucks a month uh, and you have access to weekly meetings that we're going to be doing on case studies 
all kinds of gem material from things that we've done, uh, guest presenters, guest interviews. We have Matt Jordan coming up in a few weeks, Nick Ward from Altus coming in a few weeks as well. So we've got some outstanding people coming as guests in the future. We are basically in that mastermind combining uh, revolving eight-week labs for each of those courses. So they're cycling through. We're going to do eight weeks and take a break to another eight weeks. So if you're in R1 and you want to come in and learn while you're in the mastermind, we have meetings once a week for an hour to go through the material. So it keeps you accountable, allows you to touch base with what you've learned, ask your questions. It really allows you to dive deep on all the information. On top of that, because the world is starting to open up a little bit, we are going to have our first live lab in Montreal, May 14th, 15th for R1 Foundations. And effectively, what we're going to do is when you purchase a course, you have all that material online. You have access to the mastermind and the community material and the community learning. And then you can come with to this meeting on the weekend for two days and just dive deep on how to play with all the information. And so it's not a, a, a teaching lab as much as it is a learning lab, a trying lab, a context lab. And that's what we've got uh, big time for everybody these days. And then on top of that, the International Hockey Performance Summit is pivoted to virtual June 10 to 12. All the powerful content, we have kept it all in there. We've revised the curriculum. You can go online, take a look at it. The SCAF Summit pre-summit is going to be there too. So three days of incredible information is going to be available to you. If you have an interest in hockey performance or foundationally the people People who are speaking at this thing are the top of the world at what they do. So you're going to take away whether it's hockey related or just training and performance related. It's there for you. So come and join us uh, virtually. It's all there for the taking. And then on top of that, if you are interested in ski performance training and you want to learn to train to train uh, or train to compete with your athletes that you're working with off snow, I am doing a ski program, a workshop on April 23rd, 24th in Mont-Tremblant, Quebec. It is also virtual as well. So it's live and virtual. It's a hybrid event. You can jump on that and that's available right now. Going to be dropping the hammer on that April 23rd, 24th. So uh, look forward to having you with us in anything we're doing reconditioning today. Head over to reconditioninghq.com to check out all our offerings. As an avid listener of the Leave Your Mark podcast, I'm sure you recognize the process that I take our guests through in learning about their lives and understanding what it is taken for them to become the professionals and the successes that they've had in their lives and effectively there's a lot of learning that we go through and everybody that I talk to talks about mentorship and influential people in their lives and the podcast has always been my offering to the community at large uh, for you to see and learn from the insights of others. But now what I'm doing is uh, at the beginning of May I am launching the Leave Your Mark Life Lab, and this is going to be my stewardship process for helping you become the professional you want to be through mentorship, through reflection, through directed conversation, giving you skills, providing accountability, 
and talking about your progress and inside a group of people who are all trying to do the same thing, providing you with a, a lens uh, of, of reflection on yourself and the things that you want to accomplish and recognize that you need to put as much into yourself as you do into others. And this industry is crazy when it comes to us taking care of everybody else but not taking care of ourselves. So I want to change that. That's what the LYM Life Lab is all about. I encourage you to head over to the Leave Your Mark website, which is lymlab.com. Check out what we're offering in the LYM Life Lab section. You can also download two free videos that I created that are a starter kit to this process and looking at creating change in your life. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, hey, grab yourself a hat while you're there because Leave Your Mark hats are sick lids if I do say so myself. And lastly, I want to uh, invite you to check out the latest episodes and please take the time to go over and leave a comment, leave a rating on your favorite streaming service because it helps us get out to more people. So without further ado, let's get on to the podcast. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Chris Gaviglio. Chris has been involved with elite sport for over 20 years, working with a, across multiple winter and summer Olympic sports and professional football codes in both the Northern Hemisphere with Bath Rugby and the Southern Hemisphere with Queensland Maroons Rugby League team, the Wallabies of the Australian National Rugby Union, and the Gold Coast Suns of the AFL Aussie Rules Football League. Chris still does train several winter and summer Olympic athletes and currently consults with the Brisbane Broncos. During his time in the UK, Chris was involved with the UK sport in multiple applied sports science projects. Chris has several papers already published as a result of his work and other collaborative work with other applied sports scientists. He is also an entrepreneur and enjoys designing training products that complement his strength and conditioning passion. The first two products he produced were back mobilization tools, the TheraWedge and the BackSack, more recently, he designed the sports rehab tourniquet to be used for blood flow restriction training. Above all his accomplishments, he is a husband of Angela, who was a 2000 Olympian in indoor volleyball, and a father of two kids, Sarah and Tristan. I'm pleased to have him on the show today. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me aboard. Yeah, it's, uh, I love talking to people from other places in the world. I've had uh, several of your buddies on here over time, and uh, we met a while ago, and we had a little bit of a performance group, and I always wanted to come back and kind of was curious about your career. And when you sent me the email with the background, I was kind of like, whoa, this is going to be interesting. So I like to go back to when people were little and uh, not not employed, what they were dreaming about doing. So when you were a little boy, what did what did you want to be or what did you look up in the stars and say you know that's what I want to do well interestingly a few years ago I went back home and to my mum was cleaning out all the cupboards and I I went through year seven was like you know what do you want to be when you get older and it was actually to be an Olympian uh, to be a shot putter Um, yeah and and that was my dream all along and as I got older um, for some reason I, I, I was still my dream but, you know, I remember saying it was in year 12 now, fast forward, and about to go to university, and one of my teachers still sticks strongly with me, says, what do you want to do when you get older? And I want to become a trainer to the stars. Mm. And kind of laughed at, at 
at a, you know, we come from a very small town. Um, mm. You know, well, a few people move on. A lot of people stay around. Cane farming town, very hard working. And um, besides that, the other the, the other area was just architecture was another one. Like I really enjoyed designing and drawing, as as you alluded to mm. in my little bio. Um, so. You know, and growing up, we're not in the days where I'm not that old, but it was before the internet, you know, the before resource, we were resource rich where if you want to know how to train for any event, you know, you had to, you know, I remember asking my dad to purchase some, uh, some, there's these little American books that were fantastic about throwing and had you know what the what the guys were doing and jumping and what weights they were lifting and all the special exercises uh, that, that you need to do and being the American dollar so strong against the Australian dollar it was a small fortune but you know I used to used to really enjoy reading those books and I used to remember you know doing you know doing plyometrics as a kid waking up in the morning going downstairs doing body weight you know, calisthenics now, but it's just some push-ups, sit-ups and some jumps. Got, you know, made a mat out of some old cut-up pieces of car- carpet and old lining and, and and away I went. So I just inadvertently through, I guess, lack of all these resources, just started making my own stuff so I could train mm. and, you know, reading what people do and say, well, I can't quite do that yet. I'm not going to a gym. What can I do? What the... Uh... What made you discover sh- shot? Like, uh, I w- I'm always intrigued by the the athletics people who have sort of a background because they're not. It's not the sport that we see all the time, except when the Olympics come along. So it's kind of hard to always have a compass on what influences people to get into that. So what was there an athlete you looked up to and you said, "Oh, are you?" Was there a games you watched and you said, "That's really cool. I want to do this." Or how did you discover it? Through school, you know, we yeah. didn't have um, lots of sports growing up in the small town. You know, um, uh, soccer or football um, was was very prolific. Rugby league, I had I wore glasses, so my mum wouldn't let me play contact sports. So it was soccer. So it was soccer in the winter, uh, cricket in the summer, which in North Queensland is very hot. And just at school, I just did athletics, and mm. I was pretty good at at everything. And, you know, like everyone, I wanted to become a sprinter. I was never a big guy, uh, but I just somehow had a feel for the shot. But when I put the shot put in my hand, um, it just felt right. I could just connect with it. I still remember saying, I don't want to become a big, big shot putter and blah, blah, blah. But now it's like, man, I just, you know, when I, when I was throwing in my heavy stage, I was like, oh, I just, I love it. You know, like the, the amount of weight the guys lift and, you know, just the, the sweat and the grunt and, you know, when they're working hard, I just, oh, it was just some of the best times in my life. And I can still to this day, you know, when I watch clips of, you know, uh, Tom Walsh and Ryan Krause, or what, you know, what they lift, you know, it's just phenomenal what we can get the human body to do. And I think maybe that's what I connect with is that, mm. you know, I think sometimes we, you know, when I first started, we, we limit, you know, what we think is possible when you start connecting with the right people, mm. all of a sudden it's like, wow, like, you know, it, it's always end of one case study type stuff, but it's phenomenal how far, you know, we can, you know, push the boundaries of what we think right. is, is a limit. 
Did you, do you remember the moment when you kind of discovered or the period of time when you discovered it wasn't going to be more than sort of a, a kid passion for you and you were going to pivot to something else? Do you remember making that decision consciously or just sort of faded? Uh, I think always deep down I knew that, you know, I was a standard that I was, um, you know, I remember once again, my father's very influential in my life. And um, I said, oh, you know, I want to really concentrate on throwing. He said, well, you know, m- maybe you need to also get an education at the same time because, you know, what happens if, um, <laughs> you know, keep doing your sport and keep developing it. And, you know, lucky I listened to him, you know, as we always don't want to listen to our parents, but um, listen to him and, I just knew I didn't have that that special X factor. You know, mm. I was um, I trained with Australia's first ever twenty meter shot putter, Justin Alizar, who at the time this is leading to two thousand Olympics. You know, I think people were, were asking questions. You know, what is it with these Australians? How come that they can't throw twenty meters? Will there ever be a twenty meter thrower? And since then, you know, every generation there always seems to be you know, a high 20, 21-metre thrower um, within Australia. So he really paved the way. And when I trained against him, I just realised that he was just another level. You know, he was mm-hmm. just bigger. He, he was just more explosive. Uh, he had more X factor. Well, I always remember meeting for the first time Canada's big one, Dylan Armstrong, and the guy's, <laughs> the guy's hand was just like <laughs> he went to shake his hand. He was a huge human being, but... Uh, it's a, they're neat. They're a neat specimen of athletes. So you, when do you sort of decide and that you want to get into what you've gotten into as a as a profession, so to speak, or when do you discover that it is a possible profession? Yeah, I realized that I, you know, being a thrower, you don't earn a lot of money, as you would say if I was a reasonable footballer. Hmm. So I just enjoyed coaching. Um, I found that I remember. When I was at university, this is before um, before strength and conditioning coaches. You know, you had them in the major teams, but within Australia, there was no full time school SNC coach. You know, an academy institute might had a couple of full time SNC coaches. So, whilst I was at university, I reached out to my network and said, "I'm interested in strength and conditioning. I'd like to see what it's like." And I found I was able to teach a lot of the technical lifts or a lot of Olympic lifts, which at the time a lot of people just weren't doing because my throws background, you had to be good at Olympic lifting. And just found it came reasonably easy to me to to coach those lifts. And um, I just put a really nice network around me. I just enjoyed it. I just enjoyed I guess sometimes it's about problem solving. You have an athlete and, you know, it may not be an Olympic lift, but you have a, you know, this is where they are and you need to get them to a certain point. And, you know, I say many times in conversations with people, there's many ways to skin a cat. And, you know, as your skill set improves over the years and, and decades, your toolbox just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, I just enjoyed it. I just, for some reason, just got a kick out of to seeing people improve and then go out and then do their sport and go, wow, that's the best I've ever run or I just felt so dominant in the tackle and then that's all I need to know. You know, for me, that was an internal satisfaction and that just kind of just, just kept feeding 
my interest in the industry. And, you know, it was difficult in the, in the initial stages. I remember I didn't have a full-time job for about six years and I thought, you know, I did part-time at two schools. I was a personal trainer. I had a little studio set up at my home. Uh, there was a couple of other jobs that I did. And, you know, you, you, you just do what you do because you love it and you enjoy it and you can. You don't have the, the financial pressures of mortgages and, and family mm-hmm. and so forth. So I could supplement my throwing whilst doing that. And, and then I think deep down I always knew that, you know, I was going to go okay in sport, but I was I was never going to hit my 20-metre mark that I wanted to throw. And then my, my pivotal point came when my coach at the time, Scott Murphy, who uh, he's now back in, uh, in Australia, but, you know, he got an offer to go to Bath Rugby, never been to Europe, and it just seemed like the right thing to do. And mm. I think deep down, like anything in life when we get, an opportunity to, to do something, it just seems like the right thing. A few years earlier, uh, I got offered to go to New Zealand with the Warriors Rugby League in their inaugural year, and it just didn't seem like the right thing to do. And, and I'm glad I just paused and waited because I, my girlfriend, who's now my my wife at the time, she had other stuff going on, so that was that consideration. And, and I guess that was my real turning point in England. But the, the points leading up to that, were amazing because, you know, I, I, there was no full-time job, so I had to create my own jobs mm-hmm. uh, to learn simple things about business and negotiation and contracts, not saying I'm an expert at it, um, and, and, you know, try and make a living out of something I really wanted to do. And, and I think training a diverse range of people and populations perhaps set me up nicely for where mm-hmm. I am now, perhaps as opposed to if I rolled into a job with a team or there was very few opportunities or just at a school or, you know, there's lots of opportunities now for people to to get into the industry and actually live on mm-hmm. one job. Mm-hmm. What did what did you – I heard you earlier talking about the passion of figuring something out, but what, what is that you – what's the innate centre or core of what you fell in love with? Is it – Solving problems, it is it helping people. Is what is it that you're in love with? Probably both. Yeah, I, I do enjoy solving problems. Like I, I create products, as mm-hmm. um, as as you mentioned there, and you know, I, I like building. I like building things with my hands as well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not a. You know, I, I used to enjoy a lot of drawing. Um, I, I draw it up graphically, nicely, and in perspective and then and design and make stuff more so out of wood but um i think it's the problem solving and you know with humans there's it's not a piece of wood you know you can't just cut it and and drill it in there's there's so many factors which go into it um into the response that we're trying to do so it's it's even more of a challenge The, the the puzzle's even bigger plus also you know, it's pretty cool. Like you, you, you form relationships with people, and yeah, a lot of people used to ask me, you know, what do you prefer, union, or AFL? And it's actually the people I work with. Is you know, you form relationships with with whom you work with, and it doesn't matter what sport they are or what they do. If I have a great relationship 
you could be just Joe Public and you just want to get fit and fit and healthy. And, and for me then, having that relationship, so I have, I guess, more of an emotional tie to that person. So it makes me want to see that person succeed. And then when I see the smile on their face, for me, that's the satisfaction. You know, as I said earlier, I don't need, you don't need the, the shout-outs or the tweets or whatever. It's just, you know, I can go to bed at night. I, I feel like I've made someone's life just a little bit better, and, that, and that's pretty cool. What's, what's the influencing factor? Like, you go to Bath, uh, my impression based on what I read was that's, that's where you're doing your, your uh, postgraduate stuff and you're getting your PhD, is my understanding. Uh, what, is, what, what draws you to the applied science side of things and the interest in actually getting your PhD? Because you're part of probably a, an earlier generation where it wasn't necessarily, like now it's become almost like an arms race that everybody's going to get their master's and PhD. But uh, back in you know my day and then you're a little younger than me, but the the influence wasn't necessarily there. So what was influencing you to to go that that route and be a, be interested in the science and the PhD and, and the deeper research side of things? Yeah, initially when I first started my career, I, I even said oh, I don't need to go overseas. You know, I'm going to do it within Australia. There's, you know, some you know, some sensational strength and conditioning coaches within Australia, as in all around the world. And, you know, I think initially it comes down to mentors. You know, it's, um, you know, people who we align ourselves with. And when I went to the UK, that was my first proper full-time job. And uh, it, for me, be going to Europe, I, I just seemed it was leading up to um, the London Olympics as well. So it felt like England was a bit of an epicenter for a lot of amazing professionals within sport and without a sport, but related to sport. And it dawned on me being a young strength coach, you know, you think you, you know a bit. And then all of a sudden it was this massive realization I don't know a lot about anything. Uh, <laughs> you know, my, my skill set's very small, very simple. You know, I've been doing this for a few years. Um, and then the, the moment I remembered is that I was sitting in this lecture and there was uh, Scott Draw, Dr. Scott Draw, who was a uh, UK sport, and Christian Cook, um, who's uh, an, well, now a friend but an amazing applied sports scientist. And I was sitting in this lecture and I would give this fa fabulous talk. I can't remember what it was. And, you know, Scott's me, um, the mediator for it. And he goes, okay, who agrees with this statement? And people put their hands up. And who disagrees with the statement? And other people. And I sat there and, and I put my hand up. And then Christian pointed at me and said, why, why didn't you put your hand up? And I said, I'll, I'll be honest. Fascinating. Love this stuff. Can't remember what it was but I just don't know. I, I have no idea, so I'm just soaking it in. And it was just fortuitous. And then later on, Bath Uni wanted to do some saliva samples with it, and they said, because uh, we trained up at Bath University, and they said, do you want to do a little bit of testosterone, cortisol, saliva study, just a pilot? And I went, okay, sounds kind of cool, something I haven't done before. And Christian's one of the world's experts on it, so... I just met him a few days ago. And so we struck up this beautiful conversation. I spent chatting for about an hour. And just all of a sudden, just something clicked in my head going, this is fascinating. Like, 
you know, this is a biomarker of training training readiness, you know, our responses to how we train, you know, a potential will be found in my work later on that it was actually a marker of potential competition success. And it just, I guess it got me thinking about how can I make the athletes I work with better? Mm. And we did this pilot work and it was just fascinating. I kept reading a bit more. And then, you know, Leanings Olympics, the UK sports said, well, you know, we're looking for an elite athletic population. You've got one. You've got all these rugby players. Would you be interested in doing some more work? And having Christian there to be able to just bounce some ideas and make it really applied and something that, you know, you can read and go, okay, I think as a strength and conditioning coach, I could potentially take those learnings. I don't need saliva per se, but have that sitting in the back of my mind and how to make them better. And at the same time, you know, talking to all these other professionals, I'm, I'm seeing so much stuff, um, meeting all these other people, going, and, and all of a sudden just information just coming in. And, you know, when, when I first started, there's no internet, and now there's, like, internet, so you can just I have something pop in my head, you know, quickly go and search it. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, we're, all, we're not all backwards here in, the, in Australia, but... Um, <laughs> uh, but it, was, it, just, it just triggered something in my brain. And then I, I think, you know, why did I do the PhD? I wasn't looking for it. But when I, when I first went over, I said, well, what's my next steps professionally in what I'm doing? And, you know, what's going to give me opportunities later on down the track? And firstly, it was, this was, an, it was an amazing story. For me, it was. It was a really clear, clean story. And then it's like, well, someone, if I feel like someone has kind of, gifted me something and I have two paths to choose. I can say, yep, cool information. I can write my little report. Well, you know, I, I can take the road less travelled and and challenge myself and and give, you know, do something with someone with that gift that's been given to me. Mm. And hence the eight-year journey that became my PhD. Wow. How would you describe if you could go sort of look at it in – not so many words, but the difference between the strength coach that arrived and landed at Heathrow and the one who got on a plane and left. Yeah, uh, a lot more relaxed hmm. uh, about how I train people, particularly. I think that was probably a, a big one. I, you know, used to be on. Oh, you know, we have to, we have to do this. You know, and as even now I get older again, it's. You know, it's that relationship you have with your athlete to, you know, I might want them to squat, but they might come and say they want to do something else. It could be something as simple as that and, and understanding why they want to do that or they want to do something different. And then realising in some indications that um, athletes hate the gym. You know, so it's, you know, how do you make it interesting? How, what, what's the minimum threshold that we need to do so... I get what I need and they get what they want and we're all happy because at the end of the day, there's some sensational athletes out there that, you know, aren't strong, but you know, they're pretty strong. They're pretty fit. They're pretty fast, but their game sense is so next level that it takes over from what we would classically think, well, you're not squatting two times body weight or, you know, you haven't, you can't bench 1.5 times body weight 
<laughs> you know, what, what are you doing? And, um, so, yeah, those, those classic numbers, and I think that was probably it, is that, you know, we get so we can get caught up in all those numbers if we haven't hit those numbers that we haven't um, we haven't done our job as a strength coach. But, you know, what about things like, well, you can now throw a medicine ball with more force. I haven't measured it, but I can definitely feel it when you're rotating the ball and I'm trying to catch it that you, you're now throwing me backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that has huge meaning. Um, yeah, it was, that was probably my, my big one is, is just that, um, I just, you gain more knowledge, you become more wise. Right. I probably had, you know, I had some good learnings. I've been in, in rugby. It's, it's a, it can be pretty confronting, you know, in terms of, you know, when things aren't going well, the players are sometimes brutally honest to you. And, you know, sometimes players come up to me in the first few years and, you know, a few things, they spoke to me about some, some actions that, that they wanted to see improved upon. And, you know, I could have gone one or two ways, could have put my, you know, go, well, you know, no. Or I said, well, there's obviously something there that they care enough um, uh, about seeing me improve. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a, lot, a little bit more worldlier. A little bit more yeah, worldlier like, is probably like the that. big one. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like what you just said. That was really profound. Um, this woman, Angela, who's your girlfriend, does she come with you to Bath? Like, is she? Yeah. yeah. So where yeah. do you meet her and, and how, how do you convince her to straggle along with you on your, your destiny to, uh, to the, new, the new world, so to speak? Definitely. We first met at the Queensland Academy of Sport. I was a strength coach trying to throw, but strength <laughs> coach, and she was a beach volleyballer. And, you know, it's really tall, long, leggy female um, and she'd just been back from Brazil. She had her hair and these really cool braids. And one thing that I try and do is kind of like a, a business is that, you know, if you're a client and you come in, even if I'm not your, you're not my client, it's like I want to make you feel welcome. And, you know, so I always make sure I say, hi, how's it going? You know, how's training going? And, you know, just create those conversations because you, you never know over time where things lead to anyway we shared the same physio we shared the same masseuse and um lo and behold over time it was um those incidental meetings the six degrees of separation uh, we started dating and then she she was a professional beach volleyballer she went to 2000 olympics for indoor mm-hmm. however she was she was trying to qualify for ofall uh, Olympic Games, and that was when I first went to England. And she was spending a lot of time in Europe, and she knew that this was perhaps our last time that she would go for uh, for Olympics, and probably last time on the international tour. And as most of the competitions were in Europe, it was actually made it quite easy to base herself out mm. of Bath and fly in and out. It's really quite cheap, actually. And so her playing partner at the time thought it was great because then she could stay with us and it made things really easy. And um, I, I think this, like in everything, there's, you know, we all have chapters in our life and we're both ready for that next chapter. And it was pretty exciting. I'd never been to Europe in my life. Everyone said Bath is a beautiful place, which it is. I'd never been outside Australia. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't know. I was, I was just up for adventure. And cool. it, was, it was so good. It was so good. The, 
you know, going to France for a weekend, you know, had the weekend off, went to Morocco, um, experiencing, yeah, and, you know, at the time I was trying to throw. So here I was, this, I went from 88 kilos, eventually got to 131 kilos. So I'm like packing all the food in my bag and thinking, oh, there's going to be no food in Morocco. Wow, food is paradise. You know, you walk down the street and there's all these beautiful dried fruits and juices and I just left left my food there and just just got into the culture and I just thought, how good is how good is it? a weekend? Of, I got a weekend off. I can I can just go to Europe. So people who live in Europe, this, this is nothing. But for me, you know, I come from yeah, a little yeah. country town of a few thousand people originally. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was just the right. You know, sometimes you just got to say yes. Um, I think there's a movie with Jim Carrey. You can't say no. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember that movie. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you. Like, sorry, go ahead. You go. Yeah, I was going to say um, I've been to Bath uh, a few times in my life, and it is an extraordinary town, especially with regard to this whole Roman context around it. I'm wondering sort of when you went there and sort of discovered it, especially coming from a country that has sort of a – as Canada does, the historical context of it is much different. So, you know, you go there and you're seeing these Roman baths that, you know, were created by these guys. Tech. And for somebody who's kind of an inventor, I'm wondering, you know, what did, what struck you about that or did it strike you when you went to that town and saw some of that stuff? I think it's with all of it, like even when you go to Egypt and or even you go to Stonehenge. Stonehenge, is, is unfortunately, they've got the road. I don't know whether they've covered the road, but just when you see the size or the complexity of what they used to do, we'll take Egypt, for example, how did they, you know, there's lots of conspiracy theories on how they, they moved the rocks there. And when you kind of sit back and actually realise what you're looking at and the level of detail or the level mm-hmm. of complexity, it's just amazing that, that they were able to do that so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just got to, like, pause, breathe it in rather than just saying, oh, there's some green, warm water, sulfur-type water. Actually go, well, you know, they were actually able to discover it, pipe it, um, and create these fan- beautiful, fantastic baths around, you know, so, you know, naturally occurring water. Yeah. It's fantastic. Amazing. It's an amazing town. I segued there, but uh, I, you know, you come back and um, one of the things I'm interested in sort of peeling the layers out of is your, you experience uh, rugby uh, and in different genres of rugby. And then you experience uh, Australian rules football. Um, what's, what differentiates the, the athlete in essence? Is there a, um, as sort of a cultural, spiritual difference in the athletes, or what? What do you notice is di- difference between each of those different genre of athletes as you worked with them? From an outset, from that just personality, you have the same kind of people in there. You have the jokers, the serious guys, um, just a different jersey. So it, it's pretty cool when I've gone across the sports and, you know, I can draw parallels with uh, your 
Yeah, I'm the same in AFL. You're just like that guy at Bath. You're just like him. Different body shape, but it's just the personality. You know, it's what, mm. what's going in the brain. In terms of how we train the tissue, there, there are those little things that take a little bit of time to understand, you know, in, in AFL because their kilometres that they run are so high in comparison, um, they, I found that they're so sensitive to small changes in their program mm. that if, you know, it's a, it's a massive variation in a lift or you take a lift out for a bit, you pretty much can't put it back in at all um, unless you slowly bleed it back in. Um, in then you go rugby union where you have the forwards and the backs and, and they are different beasts again. You know, the, the forwards, they're just big human beings whereas the backs, we've now got bigger backs that play in, in union. So you can, you can train them a little bit different. Like I found the forwards are a bit more robust. Um, you know, we, you could train them really reasonably solidly, um, create a little bit of variation, and they, they'd be okay. Um, whereas league, a little bit homogenous mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the athlete. There, there are some big men that you need to be working with but as a whole, when I look at them, you know, if you compare union, you have those, you have a whole bunch of massive guys in league. We have a couple of big guys. Um, so in, in terms of how do I then approach my training, you know, I think as, as I've gotten older, it's, you know, it's obviously you take all the, the things into consideration that we normally do, but it's, you know, like what am I trying to do at the level of the muscle? You know, how am I going to get the muscle to, to move a little bit better? So then I can actually start to think about them individually um, and then understand that although it may look generic as a whole, the program, the small variations because someone might be shorter or have less flexibility or have had a predisposed injury, history to an injury, and you have to make those changes. Um but I think globally, you know, I see a lot of similarities in terms of just personalities, um, which is cool, which is what I like, you know. And for me, it's understanding that, you know, in a team of 30-odd blokes, there's going to be, you know, a couple of guys that I, you know, I try to get along well with everyone, and I think we all get along with everyone, but there's always going to be a couple that you just never, no matter what you do, that they're, they're never going to gravitate towards me um and that's was in, in afl i remember that was probably my big one is is it going like you know i think we all want to be liked well, i want to be liked i know about you but I, I want to be liked and and realize that it may not be me or them it's just their personality that i haven't just sorted it out and mm-hmm. sometimes if i don't pressure them it's probably the wrong word but if i you know if i'm not on them all the time you know make sure you do this make sure you do that and then just sort of stand back and change my coaching style a little bit more and know that, you know, if I get a little bit of, you know, if I get one or two words as opposed to a, a nice conversation, I think that's okay. And as long as they're, they're, they're doing their lifts and they're getting through their sessions. So I think it's how I, I know that within a group of 30 blokes that I'm going to have different layers of, I guess, relationships with them. And then that, mm-hmm. that then lends to how I coach them uh, and what I guess my expectations are out to, to get out of them. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed, uh, and I'm curious what your experience was when, you know, 
I worked in college sport, university sport, and then uh, individual athletics, uh, our athletes in, in Olympic sport. And they're all a little bit different. And the, the professional athlete, especially when you get engaged with a team, um, you know, there's, you have to build your relationship in a different way because their, their sensibility is that you've been engaged by management to work for the team. And so they're now working for you in some sense versus when an Olympic athlete comes to work with you, they want to work with Chris. And, and, you know, when you're working with maybe a more of an amateur team, like a college team or, or a team that doesn't have that sort of professional dynamic, again, it's almost like they're, they're excited by the fact that they have somebody who's working with them in this area. So what that's been sort of my experience. Have you had a similar experience or did you have a different experience? And when you moved from something that was more um, less professional to something that was more professional, and then when you got into more Olympic athlete training, what did you notice about the differences? Yeah, that's probably a nice way of describing it, how you put it out there. Then the big one I think is, you know, when I compare, cause at the moment I'm, I'm, I'm at the Broncos, got a big team, and then I'm working with a, well, one Olympic athlete in particular. And, look, he doesn't really enjoy the gym, but we can go in there and create, we go in and we have, you know, same conversation, how you're feeling, how's the program looking for today, and it's all about finding the 0.2%. You know, that's what they're looking for, although he doesn't enjoy the gym, but he understands that it's important. And look, so do do the the football players, mind you. So we can go in there, and I don't have any numbers on the sheet, so more of an autonomic-type training program. What did we do last week? You can have have a bit more time to have these conversations. What did you do last week? Okay, how are you feeling today? Let's adjust this. Oh, I've got three reps. How about we do a, a single, but we put it up five five kilos. Yep, yep, yep. You can have those conversations. You can make minute adjustments on the fly. Whereas in a group, you have, it's a small part of a massive day. And for the bulk of the squad, they want to get in and get out. So there, most people I found will tend to follow the, um, the bulk of the squad. So if the bulk of the squad's going quick, there's a feel that we need to go quickly. Uh, and within a group, say you've got uh, 20 athletes or even 15 athletes at a time, the ability to have those conversations obviously a lot more limited. So you need to rely on having loadings preloaded in so you can guide them because a lot of them don't want to have that conversation. They just want to rip in and rip out and you can't get around. Some of them want to you know, hide within a session um, whereas some of you can go up to and you, you definitely, you got to, I guess, pick your marks to kind of go, right, I want to focus on these guys. You can have those conversations, but you know you're going to miss some guys that you really, really needed to get to. Um, so it's, it's, and I don't think, I'm not sure if they are looking for that 0. 0.2, 0. 0.5. I don't think they're looking for that, that 1%, um, cause they know it's means to the end. Because at the end of the day, most of them, they just want to be playing footy. And, and maybe that's a difference between individual athletes and team sport athletes. This is that all athletes want to do their sport. But, it, you know, team sport athletes, they just want to go play. That's, right. That's their, that's their big thing. <laughs> um, do, you, do you remember uh, any moments in your uh, career with from working with 
technical coaches um, where you learn something by virtue of making a mistake that at the moment you regret you regretted doing but now but after that learning moment you recognized where you could change and become a better coach uh did you have any of those kind of moments with a with a head coach with a team or a, an assistant coach where they kind of pulled you aside and said chris you know i need you to do this and not that or you know what what, were, what have been some of your experiences that way oh i've had some uh some <laughs> i've had some great experiences i had some um pretty uh pretty soul destroying experiences within mm. sport um one that was okay like early on um i remember i just when i was spotting someone I, I wasn't really switched on like i should be and you know i was young and i was having a side conversation and someone hurt his back i felt terrible um and so from that point forward it's like you know how do i make sure i become better at at that um ever an, another time within a team sport that, you know, for some reason I was just felt like I was getting picked on by the head coach the whole time. Um, and I don't know how I got through that period, but what got me through was the players because I'd formed mm. really great relationships with, you know, I was just, you know, we're in, we're in Poland. Um, my first, for a second year, um, I just wanted to go home. Mm. I'd had enough. Um, and you know and I think it's important irrespective of whether I was in the right or in the wrong or a bit of both it's like how can I learn to be better at what I did and I think most time from the negative mistakes you, you need to sit and reflect and that's what I use my my driving time home for is you know um what I do well, what I was happy with, what wasn't I happy with, you know, what can I improve on in the next session? So that becomes a just a continual process that, you know, and watching what other people do really well. Um, mm. And I think as you just get older, you just have more conversations with people to ensure that they're okay as opposed to assuming that mm. they're okay. You know, how did you find that session? Is this right? And then actually saying, what do you think? You know, and, and actually, you know, in terms of um, athletes, you know, giving giving them a little bit of rope as well as opposed mm -hmm. to going, no, you must be doing this or that, um, and giving them some ownership because then if something goes wrong, well, you said you've had that conversation, but, you know, you, perhaps we need to credit the athletes a little bit more with what they're in tune with because it's their body at the end of the day where we're kind of we have a good feel for what we think is really good. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, with the decathlete Cedric that I work with, um, he came to me and he said he wanted to change his weights. He said, what I want to do is create a theme for every session. So it's um, Wednesdays is his hurdles day. So he'll do drills in between pogos, box jumps. He'll do his chin-ups and, um, so everything has kind of a theme through the week. And, you know, I think sometimes the initial thought would be, well, no, we're here to lift weights. But then you think, well, at the end of the day, when you kind of, you pull everything out, you're doing skill development, which is fantastic, but we're, we're still getting what we want done. We're still bench pressing. We're still doing a step up. Why not? 
um, as opposed to it's not a classic weight session. There's lots of drills. You know, luckily we've got room in the gym. He's doing, you know, he's got the javelin and he's doing crossovers. He's doing pullovers and then that's his strength stimulus into some ball throws. But he's connecting. He's connecting everything together. And, um, you know, I, I now just say, I just pause and I think sometimes that expectation to have the answer all the time mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just stopping and thinking. And, and, and if you're unsure, saying, I, I acknowledge your suggestion, can I just think about it? Or actually um, if you're able to think, and if you kind of know that, well, what do I want out of it? What do they want out of it? And so you actually go, well, you know what, let's give it a go um, and then see what comes out of it because then we learn as a coach going, you know, well, I never thought about that. Why didn't you, know, you go, why didn't I think about it? Because we, you know, there are so many answers. There's there many ways of skin a cat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, when people put something out there, it's not to be quick with the, with the response, is to mm-hmm. actually pause and, and let it sink in because, you know, people are giving you advice for a reason. Mm-hmm. Nice. So somewhere in this... Um melange of different things that you're doing you you end up becoming a dad so how tell me about your personal sort of your personal performance practices that has allowed you to manage the grind of what is performance sport because it is it can be a very consuming industry and still be a dad and a husband and all those things what are what are some of your golden practices that keep you you know aligned yeah um well reflection is probably one you know i always think you know how can i be a better dad and and still sometimes i think you go i could have done that better uh and and knowing that i should don't have the answers on this one at all um but you know try and spend time with them you know so we have a trampoline in the backyard and so you know 40 odd years of age you know i still think i'm nice and young but you know that's that's my thing it's like you know come on guys it's time to hop out there and and find something to try and connect with them um i I really try like you know my son plays basketball i've never played basketball before but i enjoy so i'm their coach uh because i want to make sure that they learn skills but i think well it's a nice way to force me is the wrong word but actually ensure that well that's my time Mm. um and then yeah i you know i my son's into computer games at the moment. He's, you know, he's playing his, his PS, whatever they call these days. And <laughs> I, I just, I don't get into that. I read a really good article saying that, you know, during lockdown, one of the dads got into playing computer games with the son and found it was a great way to connect. I was going, yeah, well, just, so I, I try to say, well, do you want to play this game instead? So if he's, if he wants to, he does. And I'll keep suggesting stuff. I think that's meant for me. It's, you know, putting the options out there because my daughter's becoming a teenager very soon. So she's in the the beach volleyball. So it's, you know, you want to go and have a hit in the backyard. Um, So trying to find something to connect with them. um, I try. I try. How was the, um, I was trying to find a a word to, to express it, but the nakedness of being, of coaching a sport you have no capacity in, but you want to, connect and bond with your kid what what was that like for somebody who's very good at coaching what he does for a living so to speak was there a challenge to that sort of um sensitivity or not you just jumped into the pool 
quick break here. We'll be back with our guest in just a moment. We've been lucky at Leave Your Mark since the very beginning almost that Matrix Fitness has come on as our main sponsor and they remain steadfast to this program because they know how it serves the community at large the same way they serve the human performance community as well. And basically, if you need something in the world of human performance, whether it's to build a performance facility or training facility or fitness facility, whether it's a home facility you're trying to build or a hybrid facility out of the garage to work with clients, It doesn't really matter what the actual goal is. They have a product for you. They have the equipment and they have the service capacity to make sure that you're getting what you need when you need it for what you need it for. And that's the key is they are a full service organization. They are worldwide. They are one of the biggest Uh, equipment manufacturers in the world for human performance and they remain dedicated to bringing great products every day to you the consumer so that you can do what it is you need to do which is take care of your clients and or take care of yourself i encourage you to go over to team up with matrix.ca and check out their products today ask them the questions you need answers to and they will do their best to take care of you Thanks again, Matrix, for taking care of LYM. Do you struggle with finding the reason why your client keeps coming back to you with the same injury problem or why your client that you're training is having limitations in their performance? Do you find yourself challenged with how to progress the exercises that you're going to do or regress them or understand what actually is going on with their movement and what may need to be tweaked or changed or cleaned up so that they can function more appropriately and perform better? Do you find it challenging sometimes to work in or with other practitioners and professionals so that you can create a solution for the clients or the team or the organization that you're with? Well, reconditioning is all about providing you with an operating system for navigating those environments and those situations. It is a fundamental process that scripts and brings together the worlds of therapy and performance in uh, a way that no one else is really doing. It brings together applied neurology, the foundation of uh, why we move and how we move, and gives you the tools to make the changes and understand where you can take your tool set and be more tactical with it and get greater intervention uh, outcomes and better outcomes in general for your athletes and for your clients in general. So this is not just a system for athletes. It's a system for every human being. And we also believe that every human being is some form of athlete. So we need to look at the human being, what it is that the human wants to do and take care of business when it comes to getting them prepared to do what they want to do. So if you're interested in upgrading your professional practice, run over to reconditioninghq.com today and take a look at our offerings. Uh, we have a beautiful course curriculum and program that takes you from point A to point Z or Z if you like Z better than Z and helps you take care of uh, all the people that you need to take care of on a daily basis. A reminder that the doors are open for application to the LYM Life Lab that begins 
right at the start of May, and this month we'll be taking applications, sorting out who's going to be a part of this program. We want people who are dedicated to self-reflection and growth and contribution and want to make a change in their world and be the best they can be. I suggest you head over to lymlab.com today. Check out the program on the LYM Life Lab page. If you want to, there are two free downloads there that you can jump on um, just to get you started with instigating change in your world and uh, working on your mindset and other skills that we're going to be dumping into and having a lot of fun with in the program. There's a lot to it. Uh, If you read the fine print, so to speak, on that page, the Leave Your Mark Life Lab page, you'll see some of the different things that you're going to be learning, the things we're going to be doing, and how we're going to operate through this next year. I want to uh, invite anybody who wants to instigate change in their lives and create the best situation for themselves under the guidance of mentorship and community. Jump on it today, uh, head over there and apply. And if you've got any questions, just feel free to PM me. Take care. We're back. Enjoy the podcast. I just jumped in and, and, and my first coaching, I one of the assistant coaches, he played professionally in Europe for a few years. So here I am going, you know, and, and I like to have my drills. I like everything planned and set up. And, you know, I said, where's the syllabus that I could be picking some drills? And they said, I'll just go on to, to YouTube and there's a really good website, Junior MBA. And so I'm there. I, I, washing up at night, I'm like taking notes and drawing diagrams. God, it's a really good drill. So everything's really planned. And and then, like, you know, we have young kids. Thankfully, they're young. You know, I've got young yeah. kids coming up saying, you know, what position do you think I'll end up being when I get older? And I'm going, <laughs> I don't even know all the rules, mate. Uh, <laughs> little alone, little alone positions. So we're just focusing on fundamental skills, passing a ball, catching a ball, you know, um, you know, space. Um, so thankfully they're at a young age. Right. Um, and then obviously then, you know, year, year season two, I've got uh, I'm coaching again, different team, same son obviously, uh, but much better players. And I'm going, they're going to they're catch me. I'm going to be called out one day and they're just going to know I'm not going to know enough. But it, I think it's like everything. There's a little bit of osmosis, you know, over time when you, you talk to a lot of people, thankfully there's, you know, I've had lots of, one of the boys, his um, his cousin's really good. He comes along, and I just and I, I'm I'm outward at the start saying, look, my background's not in basketball. I, I just want to coach well. Mm. Um, it's like in like in AFL when I went for an AFL job. I said, I don't know anything about AFL, but I know about coaching athletes, and I can give you a better athlete if that's what you mm. want. Mm. And, and I guess being you know being vulnerable or being naked and saying, this is what I do know. This is what I don't know. Are you okay with that? And thankfully, being young kids, at the end of the day, you just say, let's play a game. Yay. And, you know, yeah, everyone's, yeah. everyone's like with athletes, we're just going to do some bicep curls and triceps at the end. Yay. Everyone's happy, you know. Well, it's, I think it's, if, you know, if you're honest about it and in some ways open to the, the possibilities of it, it, it opens itself up to, to you. I don't know if you – have you seen this show, Ted Lasso? Uh, have you heard of the mo- the show Ted Lasso? It's a yeah, it's, I have. It's, 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 on, it's 
absolutely hilarious but it's about this british soccer team that hires the 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 owner basically hates her husband who who gave her his team in a divorce so she wants to stick it to the to the ex-husband and ruin the team so she goes and hires a guy who is a u.s football coach to coach a professional football team in england so he comes in and knows nothing about the game and now has to coach it but the but the 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 beauty of the show when you watch it from a co- like a coach's standpoint is it's all about the humanity of coaching like connecting with people and getting the best out of them and whether you actually know the x's and o's you know figuring out how you're going to get these people at this level to play so it was it, i thought it was kind of interesting listening to you on that so <laughs> at the end of the day it's you know you are you motivating are you having fun are people you know connecting with you as a human spirit to, and then the technical comes behind that in some ways and I think people see see that, you know, if you're mm-hmm. open and honest, if you're dishonest, people see through that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I definitely know, you know, I think human beings as a, as a whole, f- football codes in particular, they see right through that really quickly. You know, if, if you're not genuine, if you're not honest, um, th- they see through that. And, and I think at times they, they tolerate because there's that relationship is that, you know, they're paid – money to be there and they know that you're brought in. So I think there is a bit of that, well, we have to tolerate him because he's here for the year. Um, but I don't want to be that kind of guy where they're, they're tolerating me. I want them to come in and know that, well, hey, if you don't like it, but that's like, let's, let's rip in. What, what's one thing? What's one thing that I can get you to really enjoy out of today's session? Mm-hmm. What's one thing you hate? Because if, if I could potentially negotiate and say, well, well, we don't really need to do that. Well, that might not be a good thing. Do we have to be doing three sets? Well, let's just do two sets. But, hey, give me a really good second set and we're all good. So it's finding that peace with that athlete, uh, I think, is once you, once you learn that, I think that makes things a little, little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to read for, from you from my book that I read. It's the book called The Day You Were Born. And it's a book written by an astrologer in the United States um, that put together numerology and astrology. So you said you're born October 3rd, correct? Correct. So you are a Libra 3. So your purpose is to live your beliefs and risk yourself through leadership, knowing that remaining close to the truth is the only protection you have or need in an ever-changing world. I believe that all of us have the capacity for one adventure inside us, but great, great adventures is facing responsibility day after day. William Gordon. The Libra Three is not interested in, in daily routine. Their dreams are of faraway places and impossible feats. But the truth is, the greatest challenge is living day to day, taking responsibility for the little things, seeing heroics and meeting everyday challenges. If Libra threes haven't had an opportunity to experience life firsthand and learn about themselves, they could be under the influence of some strong beliefs. It's time they take their power back and reconnect with faith and hope. If Libra threes are on the other end of the polarity, they are loners and rebels. Going against injustice or impossible odds is, is something they love. Charming and controlling and willful, they make the rules. They need to stop trying to change the world and give themselves a new perspective. They need to accept their fate. Only then can they transform it. The Libra three either takes on too much responsibility or not enough. Balance is the key to happiness. Intimacy may be a problem because they are attracted to the adulation of many. Born leaders, they have many they have their own unique way of approaching life, but authority issues may cause trouble. They need to take things one step at a time and value the small. Don't know if that resonates at all. 
It does actually, yeah, it really does. That's 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 a pretty cool piece there. Yeah, it was a. It's an interesting book uh, that I found a num- number of years ago. I found my purpose in it because there's always a quotation, and the quote in in there after the purpose statement. I had this quote on my wall for years, and then I bought the book, and the quote was under my my purpose. And I'm like, that's too cra- crazy, like too uh, too weird. So I bought it, and now I always read it to people. Um, I, I want to kind of wrap this thing with the whole inventor spirit. So where does that come from in you? What, why, why are you somebody who's, uh, or do you even, have you ever thought of why, you know, is it just part of you? I don't know where it comes from. It was, you know, I used to, as a kid, there was a show on TV and it was like all inventions, you know, beyond 2000, we're now beyond 2000. I still love it. And you know, what people are creating and they had like this young creator's, competition i entered one year it was pretty simple and yeah i I don't have any skills with electronics i can't weld uh it's pretty simple my my skill set but i always enjoyed building something don't know why my dad never did uh you know i used to go to the local wood scrap yard and pick some wood up and for my uh, i think it was my 12th birthday i got an electric drill so, and I loved it. I thought, how good is this? Uh, so I could actually drill something and, you know, instead of hammering. And I don't know where it comes from. And then as time has gone on, you know, I'll, I'll have a conversation with someone. And so I'll be using um, the easiest one is the, the blood flow restriction is, you know, we're in the, in the UK and Christian actually said to me, this is before it was, you know, it's, I think it's quite popular now. And he threw me, it had no dial on it. He said, what do you think of it? I said, I don't know. Once again, being honest, I know nothing about it. Um, But I'll go and do some research. And at the time, the research was pretty simple. And we had a Butch James, who was a South African 10, uh, quite famous uh, rugby union player. Had his fifth ACL, so three on one side, two on the other. And we said, well, let's give it a go. Everyone seemed pretty open with it. And I remember going, so well, when am I going to buy one? You can't go, not like now, but you couldn't go and purchase one. So I went to a company that deals in uh, medical grade pneumatic tourniquets. And the conversation I had with him was bewildered. He said, What do you mean you only want to pump it up to 140 mils mercury? Like, you know, we want to go 300 or plus. You don't want to include blood. No, no, we don't want to include blood. What do you mean? And so I said, Can you just trust me, please? So, he created something for us that enabled us mm. to do what we wanted to do. It was, it was actually really nice. To, it, it, it was a nice design, actually. And the results we had with it was amazing. So oh, these are the biggest quads we had went on to play again for South Africa, and we used it for a couple of other athletes. Anyway, fast forward over time, didn't think anything too much of it, came back to Australia, you know, missed the sunshine. And a couple of physios started contacting me saying, where do you get these tourniquets from for do some bfr i don't know what we called it back then but and i went oh, i don't know and and just you know when i like talking to people and you know i said oh and then i'm always thinking about opportunities you know where where's the next move in the in life um if i'm happy i'll stay um but I've just always in the back of my mind always created something and so i've already always created this thoracic uh wedge to lay on previously so i, I just 
I, I enjoy drawing things. I just don't know where it comes from. And then, you know, you, you, you talk and you find solutions and then mm. uh, you get someone that says, well, I know a buyer in China that can source this product for you. So put me in a contact and, and then and it's just become this evolution and, you know, then it's like someone suggests and say, I really like your product, but you need a better case. Oh, I didn't think about that. So, you know, get the case and realise the cases don't work properly. They keep breaking. Well, I need, a, need to upgrade that. And then you start looking at what else. Like, oh, that's really, I like those, uh, those uh, new valves there. So, so then I go online and I search and I keep looking and keep looking or asking, saying, you know, if I don't know, I go and ask. And that's how simple it is. Like I try to create some um, lightweight lifting blocks, um, never got off the ground, um, made out of... Um, uh, made out of plastic but they're actually specially designed so you can actually withstand weight and you know just through meeting people who know how to design equipment or design stuff that may not they may not be in the sports industry mm-hmm. but they can design stuff that can with, withhold a lot of force and just meeting those people over time and you know i'll go up to someone and you know if, if i didn't know you scott and someone says there's scott over there and he knows this this and that uh, i'm happy to go up and have a conversation with you because one, I, I'm, I'm interested in your story as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I found that I hope, you know, out of, you know, human kindness that, you know, if someone comes and asks me a question, I'm happy to give them information. And, and then, you know, hopefully that people that go, well, Scott's a good bloke, have a chat with him. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then you never know where the conversation goes. You know, you end up having a lifelong friend and, well, you know, mm. you're overseas somewhere, you, you get to connect, so that's pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I just in, enjoy, I enjoy, I think it's problem solving. It's like yeah. there's a problem. There's, you know, and, and at the time there's very few companies and I didn't think anything of it. And at the time, I, you know, I should have went harder down that. And so, you know, I, I wanted, I needed to design a website. So I spoke to a friend who was, I used to train him and he said, you need to learn to build your own. So it was just a template website, but. I built my own, you know, and things like I want a podcast. So it's like, well, I've got the internet now, haven't I? So you can, yeah, everything's on, everything's online. You know, you go and learn, you know, I was, yeah. I was in, you know, so you learn how to podcast and then you go, or go on to YouTube and go, well, you go on to Canva and then learn how to make your, your um, logo and stuff. Logos. Yeah. So it's just, um, you just get in. I just like getting in and doing it. I think that's, you know, what it comes down to, you know, Really and then cool. if I learn the process, it's it's pretty cool for the grey matter up top because I don't know when that skill set, I can use that later on for something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very clear that you you like problem solving. Mm. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this puppy up with one last question that uh, is kind of lamenting on the past. But uh, if you were standing at Heathrow when you stepped off the plane to go to Bath and you were meeting yourself, like what would you say to that guy as he landed in Bath? Can I tell a little side story first? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So this is the longest flight I've ever had in my life. I get off the flight and I'm absolutely exhausted. And then my mate Scott, who I'm going to work with, he goes, he jokes to me, he says, just imagine if they've stuffed something up and we have to turn around and go home. Well, they gave us the wrong visa. So we turn <laughs> up and they said, by rights, we're supposed to, we're supposed to send you home wow. and go home. Uh, but thankfully, they, they've got us somehow. They they changed the tourist visa, and then then we're all sorted. So, I, and I said to him, I said, 
if they, my answer to that was if they do that, I'm going home, I'm never coming back because that's that was one of the worst flights I've ever had. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, since then, obviously, you, you get to, uh, um, you, you just cop it, don't you, know, those long-haul flights. Um, the, the word that immediately came to my head was embrace, embrace mm. it. Um, nice. You know, going somewhere new, um, you know, we, we weren't on much money. We'd get to the end of each month and we'd, we'd run out of money. Uh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> we, we had, you know, we're just renting. We're okay. We, we had no kids and, and it was, I was just, if you're going to do it, be up for the adventure, um, and, and just embrace it, you know? So, and, and probably think about the, uh, think about two players ahead, like in a game of connect four, don't think about the one I'm teaching my son how to play connect four. Don't think about, think about what you're putting in. But try and think about the two players ahead so that, you know, at the time it might be offered to do uh, some, some study, might, you know, an applied sports science study with the team that you're working with. You might go, I don't want to be doing that because I'm so busy. But what's your two plays that's going to come out of that? Right. And will you be better off for it? And if it's a resounding no, well, maybe not, but it's, you know, we sleep when we're dead, hey, you know, <laughs> what's, what's wrong with a bit of hard work and a little bit less sleep? Um, you know, that's uh, even, even the, um, well, one of the other design was I made a hip thruster machine, like a mini Smith machine. And I, I remember it was just a simple quote. I've read it, you know, um, Richard Brand's book, Screw It, Let's Do It, or one, one of those types of books. And I just went, and I had this year where I just went, I'm going to do it. I had an idea come in my head. How can I make it happen? Um, you know, Gary V as well, you know, you, you read all that stuff and you just kind of, and I think it's surrounding yourself, although I don't know Gary V, but, you know, come back, circle back to what am I trying to get to here, whether it's online or whether it's you're more so in person, it's the people you surround yourself with. If you surround yourself with positivity and mentors that, you know, are going to push you because they see what's positive. They're the, for me, they're the people you want to be around, hunt them out. That's probably the other thing is, yeah, if, if if someone's getting off a plane in Heathrow, hunt the people out. You know, it was by mm. luck that I um, met Scott and I met, you know, I'm also Christian. Um, was it destiny? Who knows? But, yeah, um, surround the people you want to be with, you want to be like, and, and, you know, and be true to yourself. You know, you, you, when you read that thing out about Libra and, you know, there's a few things happened with a work situation over the last six months. It's like, well, at the end of the day that, you know, I stuck to when I go to bed at night, I think I've done what I've done fairly and justly um, and ethically um, and irrespective of what other people think about that. Well, I've surrounded myself with people I want to be with that I know that when I'm in my 60s and 70s is that they're still going to be my true friends. And, and for me, that's what, what really, truly matters. That's awesome. Great way to finish, sir. It's been a, a nice hour to spend with you. So Fantastic. thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me on board. And I hope um, hope any, everyone out there that, you know, listens to this can get one piece of information, as I'm sure they do with all your guests who come on this podcast. Pretty Thank blessed. you, Chris. Yeah. And I know you you have uh, your BFR product uh, online. So where can people find you or if they want to look more up on, on that technology, what, where do they go? Oh, thank you. So I'm going through a rebrand at the moment. So presently, as we speak, it's sports 
rehab.com.au. Thought about that 10 years ago, but realised it has nothing to do with BFR. Uh, so um, in, in the next couple of months, uh, the BFR.co will come live. Um, or alternatively, look up at Chris Cavillio on Instagram and also on, on Twitter as well. Um, so, yeah, continually learning and, and, and having a blast at the same time. That's awesome. Well, I look forward to one day getting over to the land of Oz and having a few beers with the, all the different people I've learned, I've met during this uh, extravaganza of podcasting. So thanks for taking the time, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for all you do as well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.